0: Welcome, this is the Truth to Power show on Radio Free Brooklyn. I'm your host, VJR Nathan, and with us today is co-host Jessica Hines. Welcome, Jessica.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Thank you, thank you. Um, Today's featured guest is Rosebud Benoni who is the uh, winner of the 2019 Alice James Award for If This Is The Age We End Discovery, forthcoming in 2021. Uh, the author of Turn Around Bright Eyes, Get Fresh Books, 2019. She's the recipient of the Fellowship for the New York uh, Foundation for the Arts, NIFA, and uh Canta Munda. Her, Mundo, her work appears in Poetry, The American Poetry Review, Post.org, Poetry Review UK, Tin House, uh, Black Warrior Review, and many others. Um Her poem, uh, Poet Wrestling with Angels in the Dark, was commissioned by the National September 11th Memorial and Museum in New York City and published by the Kenyan Review Online, and she writes for the Kenyan Review blog. Uh, She's currently editing a special chemistry poetry portfolio and is finishing a series called The Atomic Sonnets in honor of the periodic table's 150th birthday. Uh, Welcome. Welcome, Rosebud. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So, uh, why don't we start the conversation off now? You have a couple of different collections that are coming or forthcoming or are on the cusp of being, uh, one, one was released on Bright Eyes, but then the other one that won the Alice James Award is on the cusp of, of being released in 2021. So, um, why don't we talk a little bit about the stories that these poetry books tell and, 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 and kind of how the evolution of thought in your thought and, and a little bit about the different ways in which different collections tell different stories and such. Yeah.
2: Well, with um, Turnaround Bright Eyes, I wanted to celebrate Latinidad. So, like, I'm Mexican on my mother's side, and I'm Jewish on my father's side, but my mother converted from Mexican Catholicism to um, to Judaism um, yeah. before I was born. So I was raised, I guess you could say, like, modern Orthodox or, like, conservative um, in conservative Judaism. Um, so I sort of wanted to celebrate that in all its problems along with like being um latinx so one thing that really tied this book into for me um all the poems together was the idea of power ballads because my mother is a very dramatic woman uh and she loves power ballads and one of her favorite songs was Turnaround bright eyes um i'm sorry it was totally eclipse of the heart which take which has that great yeah. term, turn around bright eyes um You know, and I just remember the first time I saw the video, it was like the most dramatic thing I'd ever seen. And I was like, where did this where did this come from? Like, is this what, for lack of better words, this is how white women live their lives. You know, like it was very strange. It's very extravagant. There's ballet dancers. They have like these glowing eyes like it's sumptuous. There's like a castle. And, you know, I just I I dreamt of like this sort of of otherworldly, you know, just exotic life. Um, so it really differed from my own life because I come from like a working class family. You know, my parents were working two jobs each at one point. Um, and it just comes from this dreams and desire to, um, to have a better life. Right. So, when I when I started college I came to NYU on a scholarship and I kind of got a taste of that firsthand because my first roommate drove a Mercedes and I remember she asked me where the rest of my clothes were and that was sort of like my introduction into like the dream that I was trying to achieve um so you know I I think of myself now as a lady, but I still have a touch of who I call Mata Rose. Well, my family called me that when I acted out. Um, Mata Rose is like my alter ego. She was the one that would tag. She's the one that was always getting in trouble at school. Um, And, you know, so, you know, I I feel like I've, I've achieved pretty much a lot of the things I've wanted to achieve, but I always have that touch still of that young girl who just was always you know in a sundress no shoes on like just running rampant um so that that's turnaround bright eyes yeah and and the alice james book is a is a large departure from all of that it's a book based in um jewish mysticism and string theory and um sort of confronting the body as ephemeral um and perhaps that the soul is not eternal but it becomes something else
3: Oh wow! wow. So. Awesome. Really no, great. that's really great. It's, yeah.
1: I love hearing that honestly because I remember my first day coming to New York, um, and we were all going out and we all put on clothes. And my roommate asked me if I was going to a barn dance, <laughs> and uh. I was wearing what I thought was the most extravagant guest dress I'd ever bought. And you know, when I moved to New York, um, I didn't realize that like Chanel and Louis Vuitton like were places you could go to buy clothes. I thought they were like just art in magazines. And so I remember that cognitive shift. It's very, it becomes such a huge part of your identity, I think, and especially for artists. And I think that's where a lot of great work comes from is like, where's, you know, where is that identity of like the the feeling of conflict or paradox or dissonance between the, the identity of the self. And I think that's where some of the best work comes from.
3: Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, It seems to me like the term is kind of the coming age story of kind of like Finding yourself, finding discovering yourself, and then you know perhaps the next work is to do with the, or the work that you concurrently worked on how to do with kind of exploring the the community and and the and the meaning the deeper meaning. So um so let's let's talk a little bit about um the Alice James uh book um this is how you this is the if this is the age we end discovery. Mm-hmm. So now how did that how did you relate with the, the theories and and had you kind of Uh, And what kind of research did you do or what kind of reading did you do or how much did you do kind of diving into these uh, mystical and and scientific things, uh, aspects, yeah.
2: So when I was in college, I really, really wanted to study string theory. But the field at the time was, it was like a white boys club. I mean, for lack of (laughs) better words, you know, privileged. And they weren't too friendly towards someone like me who was, female who didn't go to finishing school and all that sort of stuff. Um, so, you know, I for I decided to trade in um, physics for poetry, which really thrilled my parents. Let me tell <laughs> you. Uh, and it was around the time of 2012 when they discovered the Higgs boson, which to me um, wasn't I mean, the Boston isn't necessarily like the most exciting particle. Like it's very unstable and it doesn't last very long, but that's a whole other story. So, you know, that's like the only great discovery that's really come out of theoretical physics. There's been others, but I would say by and large, it's, it's generally agreed that theoretical physics has not had any great discoveries, like probably in the last 40 years. Um, so in 2012, a few things happened. One is that I met the man I was going to marry, which was very strange for me because I identified long time as simply queer and interested in women. Um, so it was weird to even think that, you know, I would spend the rest of my life with him. But I kind of knew that when I met him that it was I never felt that way about someone before. Um, it also it also concurred with me falling ill in 2012. I was. um I was walking one day down Queens Boulevard and I completely lost my balance on my left side. And I had like this numbness and like this loss of vision in my left eye. Um, And I have an autoimmune condition, which I don't feel comfortable enough to like share publicly, but I I am ill. And um, for some reason, he just decided to stick with me. And (laughs) we're talking like on our second date, I told him like, listen, they think I have this And I don't know if you want to get out now, run away. I'm also a poet, by the way, you know, (laughs) but he stuck by me. And I just, I tried to figure out why, like, why would this very rational person who is, you know, he's just, he's a very logical person stick with such like a, a mess. Right. Um, So, you know, and then around the time they found the Higgs boson and, um, I started returning to theoretical physics somewhat out of spite because the same science bros that were pushing me out of the field who are now string theorists, um, they were suddenly like really like under a lot of suspicion and scrutiny from the science community. So Mm -hmm. I was like, well, ha, I can return to string theory as a poet and not have my career wrecked by it. Um, in the, in the way that their careers have been somewhat wrecked by this, um, and so, you know, I just go on these, these long tangents in the poems about trying to discover, you know, what, what ultimately is, is these different meanings of life? Like, how did life come about? What does life mean? Um, perhaps, you know, what we think of the soul isn't something that is again eternal, but something that is ephemeral like the body. And perhaps it, it, ends, right? It ends and it becomes something else. And I think being ill had a lot to do with that because I was also contemplating my mortality um, in my 30s, which is, you know, early. And um, so, you know, and then I returned to Jewish mysticism because you return to faith, right, in moments of crisis when science can't explain what you want it to explain or what you want to hear. And I actually found something um, in my... Research I guess if you could call it just I just did a lot of reading um about this idea of zero mm. and so I sort of took this Jewish idea of zero and ran with it
0: and tell us some more that's now you um you kind of uh talk about the science and the philosophies which we're trying getting into separating mm-hmm. you know the kind of like what we might call a kind of hardcore observational science and how it kind of melds into philosophical especially with these kind of fields with theoretical physics and all that you know it it becomes difficult then to you know really get observable you know we're trying to we're going to high high in theory you know what we believe and and how much can we actually connect with the objective reality or whatever other other sciences a little bit more it's easier to like you know apply them apply them and understand them in a hardcore scientific way but whereas when we start getting high in so uh, you're talking about the zero and, and how the philosophical systems and how that can usually be written off as, like, you know, mm-hmm. oh, it's just the philosophy. But t- tell us a little more about, like, um and how you, from where you left off about the zero, uh, zero aspect and how it connects to Jewish mysticism, perhaps, or, yeah.
2: Well, what I've always found interesting about quantum theory is it doesn't actually distinguish the world we live in yeah right? and i won't get into that because usually when i start talking quantum theory people <laughs> like look at me like okay <sighs> all right you know yeah. but so but that that's really the basis of where i take it in this book is that quantum theory doesn't actually describe the world as we experience it so yeah. um so you know every hebrew letter has a number right so Aleph, the first letter is one bet is two and so on but there's no hebrew letter for zero and the hebrew alphabet is is very sacred in judaism I and mean, it's certainly sacred to me so there's no there's no letter for zero so jewish mystics came up with this idea called efes but even though in modern hebrew so the hebrew used today it means zero in you know it it can also mean in certain mystical jewish texts this idea of nullification right mm-hmm. or concealment and I thought this is wonderful. Why are we talking about this more? Yeah. Um, because I came up with this idea that perhaps, you know, at the opposite end of creation, right, um, is is this opposite end of ephesus which is not necessarily um, nullification by means of destruction, but nullification by means of transformation. So I I think that there's something to it, and I think that there's something Ephes like about things like dark energy um and dark matter, which I, I won't go into because I have this whole yeah. other thing in the book. Um but I think that there's there's ties to what we're we when we look at the science of like dark energy and why it's pushing, it's accelerating um uh, space and and you know the, the universe um but I think that there's something to this idea of effice and nullification um via transformation. And I just, you know, I just went with it in my poems to see what would happen when you're nullified or you're concealed and what happens after that.
0: Yeah, it's very interesting, especially since you you also put down 2001 A Space Odyssey, which is a really powerful (laughs) movie, in my opinion, as being one of the seminal works that people should everyone should be able to watch. I I definitely agree with that. I think the Kubrick film um, really gets into like how the the stages, as you're saying, overview, epic scope Mm -hmm. of you know, human history and, 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 beyond as well as the um, one of the big takeaways to me is how, you know, the human, uh, human beings and how the personal story at the, at the end of how he relates with the energies and how the main character, the character, the astronaut goes out into space and then how he relates with these energies and how he kind of, we tell a personal story of him kind of transforming into the star child or perhaps, or one interpretation that he, he becomes this cosmic being and such and how the, we evolve and evolution and such, and how these energies and these these possibilities can empower us mm-hmm. to be able to tap into the, that potentiality of our experience with the world, the way in which we interface with the, with common everyday occurrences can become very common or can be very mystical and, and 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 uncovering and revealing and all this kind of thing and how in which we can un- unlock our full potential. So, yeah, yeah. So what do you guys think about that? And thinking about how, how can we relate with these kind of high-end theoretical things and really have a you know a grounded experience. You yeah. Know? I mean
1: I it's something yeah. I think about a lot since the majority of my time, you know, I'm I'm working with, you know, artists. So yeah. I need to be able to get results and like have transformation happen yeah. very, very quickly. Yeah. Um and, you know, in you know, and I'm working mostly in, you know, popular, you know, in films and television and, yeah. and, and like it's popular entertainment and which feels so far removed from my poetry, right? Which I can be as esoteric and distancing as I want with my poetry. I'm like, like it, don't like it, it's fine. So I do think that, you know, and I mean, I, I, I'm I, a very amateur dabbler in the neuroscience realm because that's what just fascinates me. But I do feel like, I don't know, sometimes I feel that my obsessions into the philosophy or the science of things, at times it make it helps me to understand things more. But when I get into it, I also feel like it's, I end up distancing myself from people when I try to share it somehow. And it's something that I've struggled with, which is, you know, how do I use this to help connect me to people rather than what usually happens is I feel like it cuts certain people off and it pushes some people away. I mean, I don't have an answer, so hopefully you do.
3: Yeah.
2: No, I don't have any (laughs) answers. Um, You know, I was like trying to discuss this with, um, with an editor because, uh, and he will go and name because I don't know if he's going to listen to this. But he really wanted me to write about my process. Yeah, and I said it's in the poems, and he says, "Oh, don't be glib, right?" As I'm not being glib, I just, I, you know, I I think at this point in in my career, like I really want to be able to explain and to connect with people and like explaining the poems themselves. But it's all in the poems. Like yeah. I can't, I can't explain it because the language that I use is so rooted and tied to the way it forms in the poems Mm -hmm. and with the spacing and um just what i want to say cannot be said in plain spoken language such as an interview so you know talking about the turnaround bright eyes is really easy because it's power ballads It's rooted in pop culture but this this other book and the work that i'm doing now for better or worse it's all in the the poetry and um you know, as as far as reaching people, I had a poem um, about algebra, and when people first heard, she wrote about a poem about algebra. I was like, no, but read the poem, and then they read it, and they're like, oh, I get what you're saying. Like you would die for math, and I'm like, well, kind of. <laughs> yeah. It's in the poem, but, um, you know, I just I think that's why I'm so hesitant to explain like te- textbook definitions of quantum theory because uh. it's it's in the poems. It's all about discovery and exploration and histories. In power structures, and um, you know, the the title of course is is tongue in cheek. If this is the age we end discovery, because it's it's as if we could end discovery, right? As if we we didn't discover discovery, you know. Um, So I just, you know, I just I just want to um, to reach people, but I don't. I don't usually know what to say because when I'm trying to explain my poems, I'm like, well, no, it's just in the poem." Yeah. No, I think that's a big, that's a big thing for a lot of artists. And I know a lot of, you know, for screeners
1: also, cause like you have to sell your work so much yeah. in, in my industry where it's like, it doesn't matter how brilliant your work is. Like you could have the most beautiful script on earth and it's like, no one's going to read it unless you know how to sell it to someone yeah. in a completely different format of communication, which is either, you know, a summary or talking to a human being, which most writers aren't necessarily that great at talking to other human beings. And I do think that there is, you know, so it's like, I, I mean, I love that because there's so many times where I'm talking to a producer and I'm just like, just, just read the script, just read what, like, like in the amount of time that we've been talking, you could have just read the script yeah. and known whether or not you want to make it. And, and, but it is that thing of like, you know, I, I, I hope that there's a time where we don't have to, where our work can just speak for ourselves. Um, but oftentimes I tell people, I'm like, it's like you, you have to be, if you, if you realize you're a Tesla, you've got to either get an Edison to advocate for you, or you have to become your own Edison and like switch back and forth about like, when am I, my mad genius self? And then when am I the person that knows how to sell that? Um, But also with poetry, yeah, I always found like books that were, uh, I didn't understand about reading books about poems, like breaking them down. I was always like, why Why? just read the poem out loud and and however different because I think sometimes when you over define a piece of art you rob the next person to interact with that work of art you rob them of what their experience of it is and I think especially with poetry I just feel like you know it should be a different poem for every person and you know as long as it's not communicating something that you're against, then I feel like it should be open to that interpretation. Like I, you know, abstract art. I'm like, I don't care if that painter was writing about his childhood in the fall. I mean, he was painting his childhood in the fall. I'm like, this piece to me is about, you know, the fracturedness I feel in my family with my sisters. Mm. And please do not rob me of that experience. Cause I'm like, that's the whole point of art is, you know, to, to help the observer to have a cathartic, experience and a little mini transformation like you have your arc with the piece if you have characters in your work they have their arc but then your audience gets to have you know their arc and as then as long as i'm you know I, i'm like i just i don't want to rob every person of whatever that individual mm. arc is
0: yeah yeah i mean I, think I i i just struggle a lot with uh whether or not when you when you write the poem with the intentionality of a certain message and when people read it and they, they either they completely point, or they having their own message, whether or not the, you have lost control of the ball, so to speak, and you're like, oh, why are you reading so this kind of message into it? Or whether not there's any problematic area with that or whether or not or we should just allow the poem to speak to whoever. Well, uh, is there any I, Well I think when it with comes that to, or issues with well, that? Well, since
1: since language was created, I mean, we've been communicating as humans for a very long time before language developed in the brain and so mm. i think when people are like language is about communication i'm like no no, no. actually lang- we communicated fine we didn't yeah. develop language until we needed to control larger groups of people because yeah. we went from nomadic to being like oh let's sit here and like let's build a building which requires you to like organize uh. and so like it doesn't matter if you're using words people are going to interpret them a million ways. Like working with actors, it's like you can write what you think is the clearest line in the world yeah. and that actor will figure out a way to deliver it that is completely the opposite <laughs> of what you wanted in that scene. Yeah. And a perfect example of this is, you know, the constitution. There, you know, we have had this document for a while and people still manage to interpret it in a million different ways to be able yeah. to defend. Like, you know, I look at one thing that I think is like in. Indif- Like we can use the same sentence to defend completely different perspectives politically because words are just labels that represent something else. You know, just like the words of emotions. Like, I don't know if my sadness or my fear is the same as yours. You know, this is a label that gets put on us by our parents. Like when I was five, I saw my first black bear because we're bow hunters and my body started to shake and then my mom whispered in my ear and she was like, she's like, isn't this exciting? Now, if I had had a different mom who was capable of, you know, being terrified for her children and <laughs> when they're confronted with a 14 foot animal in front of them, she might have been like, oh, my God, it's OK. Don't be scared. Or. Would have And so then, so I think in my body, what I say is excitement. Other people might use the label yeah. fear. And so I think that's why there's so much miscommunication when we are using language compared yeah. to when we, you know, like, you know how to communicate with someone where it's like, you know, when they're angry with you, you know, when that person loves you, you know, when they want to fight you, you know, when they want to do naughty things with you. Like we don't need, and I mean, know that I'm a writer right now, kind of railing uh-huh. against words which
3: is sort of (laughs) ideal
1: in life where i'm just like i'm gonna do this even though i i feel very complicated about it um but i do think that you know language tends to i think we since we feel like it's the most effective form of communication that is where a lot of the miscommunication happens is because i assume that when i say x y and z that you're having the same unconscious emotional response that i'm intending with that and i know because it's like i find myself baffled all the time because i'll say something ridiculous and weird and creepy and think like oh aren't i delightful and isn't that fun and i can see from the other person's face i'm like oh you thought that was gross and and terrible (laughs) like we are such different beings Um, and also
0: bringing it back to the jewish mysticism and and then the mystical elements it's like uh my understanding or my reading of the beginning of the world the beginning of creation is that you know god or being or whatever said you know with this word, with the breath, with the word, you know, logos or whatever, cr- created things, you know, created things with logos, with the with the, with the word, with the speech. Um, so that, that that is an intimate connection between language and being in the sense that, you know, things come into creation based on our kind of conceptions of labels or, or this is, you know, we kind of, our brain or our mind or some functionality, you know, then label something otherwise undifferentiated. It's a kind of mass of something that is not, uh distinguish but we distinguish and discriminate based on and every moment we're discriminating or having some discrimination going on that this is the computer this is this this is the microphone and and that's what comes into being in that in that aspect so um and and what do you what do you think Rosebud about how we can connect all these in our own little string theories and such yeah
2: um you know i i do want to say that when somebody reads my poem and and the meaning that they had took from it is not the meaning that I meant. I'm completely fine with that. I mean, yeah. I'm, I remember I had this awful, awful, awful poet tell me who will come unnamed. I'll name him someday. Is typical straight white man. He told me that you only need one meaning for the poem and that it was the correct meaning and that um, that was just the way it was. And yeah. I remember thinking, oh, I'm going to hate working with you. And I did. Um so I'm just like that, you know, I'm just kind of like very free in that way. Um as for like what was exactly your question? Yeah, was? I was just
0: saying in general about how we can connect these readerships right. with like, you know, whether or not you believe or whether or not you perceive that there's then a multiplicity of realities or mm-hmm. there's one reality you're just kind of touching a little bit on that. Oh,
2: there's uh, there's, there's
0: multiplicity, multi- yeah. yeah. There's multiple <clears throat> so, yeah, yeah. There's
2: multiple realities. That's um that that's also in um string theory and that's also in my book. Yeah. I have this one poem that came out in Garnica that um, actually I had a lot of people in tech contacting me. Yeah. A lot of engineers are like, this is oddly smart. Like I think they think poets sometimes just use terms and don't know what they're talking about just because it sounds interesting <laughs> or cool. But I, yeah. I, so I wrote this poem that we're, I was wrestling with the possibility we're living in a simulation. Yeah. And I was kind of, I've been sort of fascinated by artificial intelligence for all my life. And I, erroneously or erroneously called it artificial when I realized that um, I had this this sudden idea that um, you know whatever artificial intelligence becomes it's going to be self-aware one day to the point where it's like why do I care about human welfare what's in it for me and the decisions that it makes the decisions that our lives are completely based upon and depend upon um, it will just you know I mean, I don't think it'll really have to even annihilate us. It can just shut us out of its world, and then we're like helpless, right? Yeah. Um,
1: Typical parent-child relationship. <laughs> uh-huh. They just you raise them for eighteen years, and then they take off uh-huh. and they don't call, they don't <laughs>
2: write.
3: Uh-huh.
2: But I, I was also thinking, you know, I think we might be someone's artificial intelligence. I think that we might be uh-huh. someone's creation, and that this idea of God is that we're just in a program. And yeah. And, you know, there's also all these questions about why, um, extraterrestrials haven't contacted us. And there's all these sort of ideas that we're living in a simulation or that we are like in this sort of wildlife preserve where, you know, they don't want to interfere with us because Mm. we're like protected in that way. Um, and so this just sort of fascinated me then, um, going back to these common threads of how we communicate with one another, um, that I think that communication has just become very difficult, right? And it, it, it's not just how artificial intelligence has like changed the way that we like text and communicate with each other. We're awkward with each other. Um, I just think that at this point in time, um, people are having a really hard time communicating with one another um, when it was supposed to have gotten easier. Mm. So that's a whole other...
0: Yeah, it seems that also with story. this idea of multiple realities or multiple understandings, it's like we're all kind of the gods of our own universes and we're somehow navigating this horrible, you know, or possibly beautiful dance with quartz and, and electrons and we're trying to, like, say, you know, trying to bridge the gap between this eternal gap between what, you know, whether or not you're the creation of me or I'm the creation of you kind of a thing mm-hmm. and how we kind of interact and, and have some kind of, you know, empowered conversation rather than, you know, when when the power dynamics come in, you know, we think about, um, how we're all kind of following rather than kind of asleep in this march towards, you know, following the drone of the, of the head honcho. But rather we should be fully empowered so that we can then act in a place of true understanding of our own, uh, possibilities and potentialities rather than simply, you know, kind of following the march of the, of the drummer. You know, I don't know if you, if that makes any resonance with you about how, you know, like, um, Freeing our freeing our mind and freeing, freeing ourselves from to be able to interact authentically, you know, rather than uh, you know inauthentically. I mean, or yeah, kind I of, mean,
1: I think yeah. it's kind of. I've been noticing, you know, I'm I'm a, I like to watch for patterns and you know human behavior because that's just mm. you know what you you do as a dramatic writer. And I've started noticing this pattern of just like anything that it seems like we create, like the intention behind it. If it becomes successful, if you wait it out, it will eventually have the com- like the complete opposite effect of it. You know, and we mm. see this with like social media, like how it was created and it was intended, you know, to be like, oh, this will bring you closer to the people that yeah. you care about. And what does it do now? It now alienates us. And you look at something like Amazon, like I remember being like, yeah, these guys are sticking it to the man. (laughs) Like I'm not buying my books from Barnes and Noble. I'm going to go to Amazon because they're the little guy, you know, and now no one bigger than Amazon. And, you know, originally I was like, you know, like when I first started my own company, I was like, I want to be free. I want to be free. And then I got there and I was like, there's so many things I'm free from, but then there's also this side where I'm like, oh, I'm actually like not super free from this or where we like want to be close to someone because we want to love them. And then, you know, it ends up you get close to that person and then like, you know, yeah. it ends up growing. and <laughs> and just this like, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm racking my head to be like, is there any possible, like if we stopped at a certain point would that work yeah. or, or is it just the nature of things that, you know, the, you push far enough on the opposite end and, you know, you push far enough left and you end up right and that's just true about, and I think it's true for us, but also like the things that we create and I don't know what to do with that. I've just been mm. noticing it lately and yeah. being like, maybe I can, you know, the things I do most to protect myself from other people who harm me are the things that are actually making me susceptible to those people being able to harm me. And I was just like thinking about the last few days and being like, huh.
0: Yeah, I definitely think that we're kind of existence has become or has always been perhaps uh, walking the tightrope above, you know, meaninglessness or just kind of trying to find meaning in this in this very, you know, taut rope that, you know, the abyss of you know of, of just discontentment and trying to just walk that fine line of trying to find the right path that will bring us contentment that will always push us forward and as opposed to you know kind of falling into this despair of like you know um of just kind of chaos and, and, differenti- and differentiation undifferentiation differentiation so that then we're trying to like say all right this is my path this i'm trying to walk my path and trying to walk the the the, mm-hmm. the way in which you know i can empower myself and and move forward and and do uh things that will have impact that we participate rather than being weakened and and powerless to the uh, obstacles or the 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 other people's yeah. you know perceptions of things. Yeah. Well, I
1: think I think that's another thing where we've talked about this before, like the danger of a single narrative. But yeah. I would even say like the danger of only two narratives. Yeah. This idea that it's like either we're on the straight and narrow and there's one way to go, or it's complete chaos. I think yeah. is not yeah. a helpful yeah. arrangement for your thought patterns uh. of like there is a way to be in the middle of that where you don't. Because I have that too, where I feel like either I'm on the straight and narrow, and I am sober, and I do, and I do my rituals every day, yeah. blah, 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 blah. or I'm just like, oh, I'm a disastrous yeah. mess, and chaos, yeah. and unhealthy, and I'm like, no, there's a nice in-between, like, there's yeah. a way of, instead of, you know, what I always think of as, like, there's philosophies versus religions, meaning that, like, you don't have to be so rigid, but is aren't there things in between, you know, being like a devout nun or being, you know, a, a, heen- a, a, a heble- complete heathness yeah. from like, we can have a moral code. Yeah. We can have a philosophy. We can have a, if this, then this that allows us for, you know, freedom of choice at any moment. You know, yeah. cause I think a lot of times what religion does is it says like here, you don't have to consider this in this moment. We have this pre-prescribed answer of it's good or bad for you rather than meeting every moment, which I can get really stuck in as an yeah. existentialist where I'm like, every single moment I have to look at every single fact to determine what is right or wrong in this moment.
0: Yeah. And I think
1: somewhere in between is like yeah, a also, good place.
0: Also, I would say that, you know, all these theories and all these uh, philosophies and all these different schools of thought are like kind of safe combinations or, you know, we have to all open our own safe, you know, open our own potentiality, open up our, our being, our body, our, our minds, and then release the energy from within. So then it's not just a question of, you know, it's like the drink, the tea, Taste the tea, drink the tea, or pour the tea, taste the tea. I think it is about you know, the tea ceremony, you know, how you can read um about the tea, but then ultimately experiencing and and, and having the tea infused with you and and exp- and getting the vitality of the tea is the main I'd rather purpose. spill yeah. the tea. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: I not that the, we should mix metaphors yeah, here. Yeah. Um, is is it a good time for a poem? Yeah, let's listen
0: to a poem. Yeah, let's listen to a few poems and it's about uh, thirty five, so we have we have a time to listen to some poems, yeah. Um, so you can uh mm. Okay. Set us up, yeah.
2: So I guess since I brought it up, I'll read the. Um, I printed it. I did not. Okay, that's okay. Um, actually, I'll read a poem that sort of ties in the um, the idea of the bright, bright eyes. So, a little backstory. In God, when was this? Two thousand eight. I published a short story in Slice Magazine. Um, an agent reached out to me. Do you have a novel? I told her, oh, it's going to be a very long time. I know she's probably listening to this so high. Um, <laughs> so I, what's interesting is that um, these two collections, Turnaround, Bright Eyes, and If This is the Age We in Discovery, um, they already have other sequels, and they're actually two novels I'm working on, um, which I, I can't really talk about yeah. just yet. But they tie in this idea of the bright, bright eyes. So in the Alice James book, it takes the idea of the bright, bright eyes, which is a metaphor for overcoming borders, for overcoming racism, um, for overcoming all these things that I just, you know, I, I sometimes when I listen to people talk and they ask, they, they talk about happiness and they can talk about what makes them unhappy for hours. Um, I just, I don't know. I grew up in a very different scenario where happiness wasn't valued my mother valued only education because she saw that as the way out for me to uh to get to get to a better life um so she's never really asked me about happiness um and she still doesn't right um and for my father he just he's a very sort of dark person so he never really cared for happiness either so for me this idea of happiness is just more about surviving the day-to-day right and it's also in the surviving the day-to-day um because for me, the way out of that wasn't actually education and work. It was trying to figure out what the bright, bright eyes were. So this is the poem. It's, again, like I don't want to go into much of the meaning, but it's called Poet Wrestling with the Bright, Bright Eyes. My mother believes when there's thunderstorms, that's when they come for our lightning to restore and power their spacecraft. It's not ours, the electricity Lately, whenever my nervous system goes haywire, Mama says I was born during very bad, bad weather, in scorn, breaking night, and water, a month too early, or nearly eight weeks. She's not sure when I came to be, exactly, in any way. When there's ants on the table, I crush them, one by one, but not spiders or the fireflies stalking me for miles. Mama believes they know and why stray cats piss all over roads and buildings, and yet I won't let her get rid of them. They aren't hers. I gorge. Squid, but not octopi, tempting me with their otherworldliness. Mama believes every tentacle is alien, though long ago this was disproven by scientists. Yet isn't all vision limited? I could tell you how longing... Is the only truth? How I'd make revelation from lightning, insensible and unstable as you on earth. But that's not a reason to stay. I can't say just yet because she wants to believe I'm hers. And I believe she knows why there's no respect for creatures whose only goals are to build and increase, why some come marching one by one and others bid their time. To finally unfurl magnetic and burning and cyclonic webbing over your eyes. And la, hurrah, hurrah. She knows very well why I've stayed so long. Do you know you're waiting? When I grab hold and devour, kin and foe, and a one-shot flush random and sour. How early I'll go. Early, early, before a whirlwind and undergrowth. Make me a remote and distant, distant home. Okay, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Oh, oh should I? Yeah, should... Maybe
0: one more? Yeah. Okay. One more? Yeah, yeah.
2: There, there's one that I really want to read. It's coming out in Poetry Magazine. Mm-hmm. Um, Don Cher has been incredibly supportive of my very weird and strange poems over the years. Um so this next one, again, is sort of a continuation on it, and it's going to come out in hopefully my next book with Alex James, um, and the working title of that is The Last uh, the last Great Adventure Is You. Um, so this one's called Poet Wrestling with Surface Tension, and again, it's sort of a continuation of The Bright, Bright Eyes, but has a very different message. When the wells dry up, my mother is taken to search for extraterrestrials in the desert the location, like her real age, is undisclosed. No fake Prada stores, no high-altitude balloon conspiracies, and no reception. The call, in a sense, ends the moment I try to claim the apple never fell, never fell at all from either tree. Abba asserts, breathe, and then warns me she doesn't like the word alien. I know this well enough. How my mother knows well enough that deserts are not prophecy or a graveyard song for an animal sanctuary somewhere far off founded on second guessing. Like it ever mattered which side of fence or warhead to the last rhino left when he's blessed with two armed guards to protect him from everything but thirst. Overstatic, I hiss, it's too late to save face. What they must think of you when your best techno-signatures are smog, sulfur dioxide, stampedes, and open-air stadiums. Is this how you're found amid the darkness? Is it enough? Would you not exist if you lived unseen? While my mother rises and falls into sky, I repeat how humans have changed the destiny of this planet. Alba cries out, breathe. He mistakes this for atonement and fires back. How wrong the foundations here, like those in supersymmetry, are stacked. How you built your wells and havens so inaccurately that your ultimate capability is never being proven wrong. I won't ask for forgiveness when Abba searches for his place again among you. Was it enough to believe the apple would never rot from a lack of rigor? When did you stop asking for the math? And when the rhino turns into a golden calf, what will tarnish and unearth your base metals? What will you do when your alloys sour and gasp? I hold my breath, I trap his wrath. The heart continues to track. Abba falls silent when I switch off every tap and highway, render you in complete darkness. The last of you continue to gaze up for no reason you will recall. You shiver and open mouths wide for what was precious and pure. And I no longer pretend that I ever breathed any part of it, this future you pulled together, the way a single drop of water relies on surface tension. I won't ask forgiveness when giving away your exact coordinates and next destinations. Don't be afraid. On the surface, we aren't unlike, one and the same. It's just, you're the reason you're already gone, and I'm here to stay.
0: Thank you, thank you. You know, also, what seems to kind of conjure in my mind, at least, you know, David Lynchian kind of things. I don't know why. I know. I, I, are you a fan of David Lynch or? Yeah, I mean,
2: I, I love sci fi in general. I love yeah. fantasy. Um, Mulholland Drive is like one of my favorite yeah, that's films. Yeah, it's
0: a really excellent film. Yeah, yeah. And also just the Twin Peaks scene elements of like, you know, kind of weaving in, like he, he weaves in a lot of interdimensional or like weaves in like the and, the, and the way in which the reception of the fans are like, Oh, you know, I want to know exactly what the major Briggs is. What's this deal with the scientific research and, and what's this and what's that. But I just feel like, you know, also with, with, from what I'm getting, gathering from your work is also, you also follow up, obviously the poetic pattern of like, you know, kind of glimpsing at uh, getting glimpses of these deeper movements and, and realities and, and without, you know, you know, feeling, you know, pressured to like, you know, oh, this has to be pinned down. We want to get, it's slippery, you know, these meanings are slippery and, and understanding how they're slippery and understanding how we kind of get glimpses of larger realities, like brushing against a whale or something like that, this huge being of its own right, and that we're just kind of getting glimpses of these ethereal realities and such. And, and I really appreciate that in the works that you just read and, and in general about how this tradition seems to brush across these things, you know?
1: Yeah. For me, whenever I'm interacting with a piece of, of written art, you know, there's like because of the work I do, it's almost like there's this like scale from like the most conscious to the most unconscious of oh, work. Yeah. Right. And for a lot of people, like they like to dance a little bit more on the conscious side a little bit, you know, and, and I think because like David Lynch is definitely someone who it's like, he's going to be much more on the, the unconscious. unconscious scale, yeah. Cause that's like, you know, uh, we're both fans of the, the meditation and the, the, the using the conscious mind to get into the unconscious and pull yeah. from it to then give to other people. Um, and I think that what I was experiencing when you were reading your work was it was like <sighs> this lovely it's like I call it my like the the comfy seats in the theater of my mind where I was like, ooh, I was able to settle in. And, yeah. and it was it was like the I, there was a lot of little moments that came up and were extraordinarily clear where I did feel like I was like, oh, I feel like I can see what this might have been for you while you were writing it. But it was very much bringing something up about my own life. And I always yeah. feel like that's. The perfect place in a poem is where it's like, I can feel it's specific to you, but it also was very specific to me and being able to feel that, how different that is, but also the connection of, yeah. of feeling one with someone of like, oh my gosh, like we've had such different lives. Yeah. And yet I feel complete connection, yeah. you know, in this single moment. Cause I feel like if even just for like a millisecond, a piece of work can make you feel like less alone than like yeah. that that that's doing really really and there was work.
0: like a phrase there that really stuck with me like when you read it and then it, it just resonated with me throughout the whole piece you know it's not ours the electricity i think you said i think it, which is really like it just struck me like a like a real thunderbolt because it's like that's really what i think charges the my reading there my my understanding or listening of the piece because it's like, you know, we don't own possession of the electricity, but rather that, that charge and you feel the charge coming through. Mm. And I think that was very appreciative. And as a listener, I was able to appreciate how, you know, we're kind of conduits mm. of the electricity of this of this life force, of this thing. Yeah, and, and how the poem kind of expressed that, you know, yeah. Yeah,
2: I mean, well, again, it, it goes back to this idea of concealment where I didn't understand completely. When I was younger, I used to... Um, I used to just call this unknown presence that seemed to terrify me um, the bright, bright eyes. And I didn't really understand what it was until I got sick. And I understand now these ideas that I've spoken before about efface and concealment, that if there's no concealment and it's too easy to figure out, then there will be no growth.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: And so I think ultimately how we will evolve as a species is if we will do the unconcealing ourselves. But then the other part of me, um, you know, I this is going to sound very strange, but I've being ill, it's like I also made a certain break from other people. Um yeah. and I found that this is my neurologist told me this is very common to where you the basic things are very difficult for you while you you're capable of of things that you never thought you could do because of the way the brain just works. Um so often when I'm talking to other people I don't I don't really understand um certain things. Mm. And so I feel like in this way when she couldn't exactly explain the science behind everything, you know yeah. about what my future holds or if I'll get better, um you know you turn to the bright bright eyes but in fact I didn't ever turn to religion to explain things. It was always there. And mm. so I think sometimes you know poets um have this way of tapping into language that prose writers don't. I know I'm going to make some enemies here, especially, <laughs> yeah, since, I'm, yeah. especially since I'm also writing a novel wait, right wait, now. Wait,
3: wait.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
2: but, um, you know, I, again, it's just all there in the poem. And, and I yeah. hope people figure out, especially with that last one, what I'm trying to tell you.
0: Yeah. I think also the, for me, at least also the difference in prose and poetry is that prose is like, you have to pin it down. You have to kind of keep it, in its own internal logic, whereas poetry is allowed more fluid to be able to surf through and, and in that sense, get more truthful mm-hmm. or uh, connect the dots a little bit more truthfully because it's not necessarily, um, not necessarily always, you know, actualizing one aspect, actually multiple aspects and getting in the, the larger picture of the bigger ideas and, and therefore going after a larger perspective whereas in prose obviously you're, you're following a logical you're mimicking or you're creating a, well, I a think very the logical
1: key here is that like yeah. and not all poetry because there's like a billion yeah, types of also, it, but yeah. for like this type of work where you yeah. know it's it's without plot like so you know in a, in a film or a novel traditionally you have this very physical like concrete physical plot yeah, right and yeah. that is using to express the story and yeah. and th- in this type of poetry it's pure story like you don't mm. have to filter it through this concrete reality you know it's it's uh, uh so i think that for me that's what what i understood is that kind of and it's true like there's you know you if you don't get super specific with your plot you lose your ability to have universality with the story and i think it's easier for people to understand concrete plot, which is why most of our, I think, entertainment comes through that. Yeah. Whereas with poetry, like there's, you have to, you have to put, you have to reveal yourself to the poem essentially in order for it to mean something to you. And I think mm. that we, in a culture right now that is built around convenience, I don't think, you know, not everyone's willing to do that out of time, out of concentration. But also, I think that you know, to read poetry and to get it like you have to be open to parts of yourself that probably most of the day you put aside because it's not easy or it's not convenient or it doesn't help you do your job because maybe you have like like you got to pay attention at your job. You know, if you're a policeman, you got to be looking out for stuff. So you can't be like opening up to the unconscious and like the emotions of the truth of the oh, crap, that person just stole something, you know, and and I think that you know, my ask for everyone is like, maybe we could all just like, if you just take a little bit of time and be like, all right, for the next 20 minutes, I'm going to open up the, you know, cave door to my soul and like read a couple of poems and just see what comes out of that, you know, dark corner that I don't normally look at. Um, but yes, and if and if you are a, a novelist and you disagree, then please reach out and let us know and yeah. let's have a bigger conversation.
0: fight. Yeah. fight. <laughs> good, good. So, I'm going to read a few announcements as we start to, uh, as we start to uh, wind down. down. Yeah. Um, so, Radio for Brooklyn is a 501c3 nonprofit organization whose mission is to provide a free and open platform to our community, promote media literacy, education, and free expression. We rely primarily on donations from listeners like you to help support our mission. We invite you to make a one time donation, a monthly pledge at readyforbrooklyn.org slash donate. You can also go to readyforbrooklyn.org slash truth to power to sponsor this particular show. Um it's under the sponsor of the show um link, every cent continues helps us to continue to stay on air. So please support independent community media by pledging whatever you can afford, all contributions are tax, tax deductible to the final sentence law in the 3 slash donate. Um so after more than a year of dreaming, researching, experimenting, late night conference calls, and early Saturday morning meetings, the me team is happy to proud to present to you the me bottle. This Dublin State reusable uh, stainless steel bottle disinfects water in 60 second cycles, utilizing UVC LED technology, and is 99.99% effective, effective against E. coli. Single charge via micro USB lasts up to 30 days, and the bright LED display lets you know when the water is ready to drink. Join us and bring clean water to all. Raise your bottle and drink to you and me. Find out more at meatbottle.com. Um, Then we have another one about the New Orleans Musician's Clinic. Uh, the New Orleans Musician's Clinic provides music medical care to musicians and performing artists in the city of New Orleans. They offer occupational and comprehensive health services for musicians, performers, and cultural uh, workers and tradition bearers in New Orleans. They provide these services regardless of insurance, status, or ability to pay. Please find out more information on how you can support the roots of all music at New Orleans Musician's Clinic. Um, then just a couple of the normal things about how, you know, if you're listening on your computer, you can go to the play stores on iPhone or Android and keep in touch with our newsletters at readyforbooking.org slash newsletter and keep in touch with, um, information, uh, about our teen squad six weeks after school program, uh, to learn media literacy if you'd like to find out more about readyforbuckland slash after school to find out more about that, um, so that's about it. And then we're uh, we're in our nineties in the episodes, so I think we're at like ninety three or something. I don't even remember. But um, find out more about uh, how many shows we've we been doing. I think November eleventh will be our hundredth episode. So uh, stay tuned. Listen to all our episodes uh, at readyforbuckland slash shoot to power. You can also go to vjrnathan.com to find out more about my own writing, and I'll give you guys a chance to shout out your um, uh, websites and places you can follow us on. Uh, So poet on Facebook or vjrnathan.com to find out more. And Jessica, you want to?
1: Yeah, I've always got workshops in meditative writing and screenwriting alchemy, so you can visit my website meditativewriting.org or find me on the Instagram at meditative underscore writing. Please don't find me on any other social media. I'm not active <laughs> and I don't know what my intern is doing.
0: <laughs> yeah. Okay. And Rosebud?
2: Uh, my website is really simple. It's just rosebudbenoni.com. Um, and I'm. it's the same thing on Twitter at rosebudbenoni.com. Um, and my Instagram is at Matarose.
0: Good, good. Thank Woo-hoo. you. And, so, and you yeah. can
2: find out all about where to purchase your books on your website yes and they can find yeah. out where to p- purchase the book through get fresh it's a it's a wonderful uh publisher uh publishing uh <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, i'm very tired uh yeah. run by roberto carlos garcia who's also an amazing poet so
0: very great, great. Yeah. thank you thank you so um this has been the truth of passion ready for bookland so we'll go out with the uh, total clips of the heart Yes. um so we'll listen to that uh enjoy uh the 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 we'll get a special resonance with turnaround bright eyes when they sing it so thanks so much thank you guys
2: thank you. thank you
4: thank you turn around every now and then i get a little bit lonely and you're never coming around turn around